0: We have a Bible with you. You can open to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, alright. We have been looking at the final days of Jesus. Alright, the days leading up to his crucifixion. And I want to encourage you, uh, go back and catch the last two weeks, if you missed them at all, if you missed one of those. Uh, what this is meant to be, this series. It's meant to be a time that is going to draw us into the Easter season. All right, Easter is incredibly important, one of the most important times on the Christian calendar, and we don't want to just go through the motions, we want to say, God, I want to be drawn into this time, I want this to mean something, I want this to change me, all right? Uh, So that's the goal of this, it's so easy to slip into tradition. Today is what is called Palm Sunday, all right, is a week prior to Easter, and it commemorates Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem during his final week. All right, I love Palm Sunday growing up, mainly because our church bought all of these real palm branches. And then as a kid, you would rip all the leaves off, and then you had a nice little whip. All right, and you'd run around, and, and okay, that's not what we were supposed to do. And I, Aaron almost was going to order these for me, and I was excited. And Pastor Corey's like, I don't know about this. And I think he was just worried about... Uh, You know what was going to happen, and I I wanted to assure him, like I have a longer reach than the kids. Like I will win in this fight. He's like, no, you don't get it. That's not what I'm worried about. I'm not worried about you losing. I'm worried about the fighting and the whipping, and so that was fair. We did not order palm branches, as you can see. I lost that one. All right, but today's Palm Sunday. I love it. We're going to be in Matthew 21. All right, so I want us to read this together, and then uh, I think this passage has some really direct things to speak to us today that are so incredibly applicable to our lives. And I think that when we don't slow down as we read this, we miss these. All right, like We can just read this we're like, okay, Jesus rides in on a donkey. But we, I want us to dive in today because I think this really can matter for us. So uh, if you would, if you're willing, if you're able, uh, would you stand? We're just going to read through uh, this part of Matthew 21 starting right at the beginning of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. God, I pray that as we read this, that uh, this story would just become so real to us today. Jesus, that you would speak to us. What is it that you were wanting to accomplish in this moment? What were you wanting to communicate? God, we want to know that so that we can put that into practice. We can be changed by this. And we can live our lives differently, Lord, in a reflection of you and your ministry and what you stood for. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So last week, we talked about the symbolism of the Last Supper. All right? Uh, And if you were here, you got to watch me choke on some horseradish. It was amazing. All right? But during this meal... Everything that they did was incredibly symbolic and it pointed back uh, to things that were happening in the past. All right, things from their history. It all stood for something specific within the Israelite people. All right, well, this idea of having symbolism is not unique to the Passover meal. It was common in their culture to have symbolism in things, to constantly be pointing back to things from your past uh, or the past of your people. And the Israelites, the Jewish people, would have incredible knowledge of their history. They would have large portions of their Bible memorized. Uh, They would be very familiar with all of these things. And what we read this morning, what they are doing, it actually has a ton of symbolism in it. And it is pointing back to their history in a few ways. All right, So I want us to understand... What was going on there, how it does that, so that we can then apply this to our lives. All right, so there are four things in this short little passage that we just read. Four things uh, that point back to their past. All right, and I think combining these together, when we understand these, and we bring all of that together, it's going to help us be transported to that moment and really see what was going on. Alright, so there's, there was a quote that was said in it, and it said, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now this quote is from the Old Testament. It is from Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah was a prophet at the same time as the prophet Haggai. And they both are part of kind of the rebuilding of the temple after the captivity in Babylon. Alright, so this would also be the same time as like Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, Israel left captivity in Babylon and Assyria, uh, but really, they continued to be oppressed and ruled at various times by other empires. And currently, at this time, in Jesus' time, they are being oppressed by the Roman Empire. All right. Now, Zechariah and Haggai, uh, these two prophets at the same time, they were kind of like good cop, bad cop with the Israelites, all right? Haggai was all this like, you are terrible, and he confronted them about all of their failures and where they fell short. Zechariah then came along and was kind of the good cop who encouraged them uh, with God's promises to them. And then he shares, that's kind of verses, chapters one through eight. Then in chapter nine, where this is, he switches over and begins to share some prophecies. Uh, and, and this is where this this promise is. All right? And it's prophecies about the rebuilding of Israel. So, this prophecy, look, your king is coming to you, uh, that he shares, is about the rebuilding of Israel. And, and he's talking about the future of a new Jerusalem, is what he says. Now, in the Bible, they use phrases over and over, and we are meant to be able to see those and connect them together. All right? Now, for them, this new Jerusalem idea, this was a new idea. They did not have anything to connect that to. For us, we hear New Jerusalem. And hopefully where our minds should be going is in the book of Revelation. It talks about a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth. And so we kind of see this. That's why prophecy often is not something that's always completely understood in that moment. Sometimes it is. All right, so for us, we see New Jerusalem ideas and we're thinking way ahead. They were thinking right there where they were. They hear New Jerusalem, and they're like, all right, let's build this new city. Let's go back from captivity, rebuild it into this New Jerusalem. All right, that's all about their lifetime. So this first little piece, all right, it should put us in the mindset, what what were they thinking? When they quote Zechariah in New Jerusalem, they are thinking about them right there in that moment, having this new idea and actually being kind of reinstated to their former glory that they were before captivity. That, that's what their mind is when they're quoting this. All right, the next three things are all in verses 8 and 9. All right, so the first one, we see people laying their cloaks, their garments on the road in front of Jesus as he rides his donkey. Uh, a little bit of the idea here is that you don't want them to get dirty. Like I'm going to take my coat and lay it on the dirty ground for you to walk on because I would rather my coat get dirty than you. Like that's how much I respect you and I love you and I honor you. So there's a little bit of that idea happening here. All right, like they are giving him what they have. It's kind of like saying, hey, I'm behind you. I believe in you. I'm on your side and this is me showing this for you. But there's also another piece that's pointing back here. This is pointing back to something found in 2 Kings chapter 9. All right, And you have Israel at this time in 2 Kings being ruled by a terrible king, King Ahab. All right, And God decides to have a prophet anoint someone else to be king. Well, Ahab is still king. So you have this terrible ruler and then someone else being anointed to rule. So the prophet comes in and he anoints a man named Jehu in private to be the next king. Jehu comes back out to his men, because he was a general, and they're asking him what the prophet wanted. Alright, so I'm going to read this here. It's in 2 Kings 9. It says, you're hiding something, they said. Tell us. So Jehu told them, he said to me, this is what the Lord says. I have anointed you to be king over Israel. Then they quickly spread out their cloaks on the bare steps and blew the ram's horn, shouting, Jehu is king. All right, so for these people to take their cloaks off and to lay them on the road in front of Jesus, absolutely, they are thinking about this. This is in their mind. How many of you guys, when you read through that, you're like, oh yeah, absolutely, 2 Kings chapter 9. Yeah, that's not me either, all right? Like we just, this isn't our culture. We weren't raised in this. We don't have these things memorized in the way they do. So they, they are kind of invoking that same mindset, that same feeling when they do this. So they lay their cloaks out in front of him. Their new king who was anointed to take control from an unjust, oppressive ruler. That's what was happening with Jehu. And this is in their minds as they're doing this with Jesus. Alright? Alright, so that's the garments. What about the branches? It says, others cut branches from trees. They're laying them down, they're waving them like, "Uh, what's this? They just didn't want to get their coats dirty, so they were the smarter ones that grabbed the tree branches instead. Uh, Well, actually, a few hundred years earlier, Israel was being oppressed by other nations again. This seemed to happen a lot. Uh, And there was a man named Judas Maccabeus. All right, now Judas was a super common name. Uh, Two of Jesus' disciples were named Judas. He led a revolt, the Maccabean revolt, uh, and he freed Israel from the oppressive nations. This is not something that we actually have in, in our Protestant Bible, but in the Catholic Bible. Uh, They have the books of Maccabees, and it talks about this. All right? Uh, And when when Judas Maccabeus came riding back into Jerusalem after this successful revolt, he came riding back in, and it says in the book of Maccabees uh, that people took these branches and they waved them and laid them down in front of him. All right? So are we getting the feeling of the crowd that day? What their attitude towards Jesus or actually not even attitude, a better word would be what their expectations towards Jesus were. They are invoking all of these past moments. all right. And if this isn't clear enough, then they start, start shouting in verse 9, Praise God for the Son of David. Son of David is a phrase that is used for the future Messiah. And their idea of a Messiah was someone who would come and rescue them and deliver them. All right. So during Jesus' triumphant entry, it would appear as if everyone is worshiping Jesus and is so happy that he's there. All right? Like when we read this at surface level, that's what we see. But there are so many expectations, so many agendas, so many selfish desires that were on display that day. They weren't worshiping a Messiah, they were worshiping their agendas, all right, people weren't worshiping Jesus. They were worshiping what they thought Jesus would do for them. Oof. That's what was happening that day. They wanted someone to come into Jerusalem to deliver them. Uh, to, to usher in this new Jerusalem that was talked about in Zechariah, to take over from an unjust ruler like Jehu, to wage war and defeat an oppressive nation like Judas Maccabeus, and to be the Messiah, the son of David, that they had imagined in their head. All right, Because they had changed the idea of what a Messiah was. They thought a Messiah was going to be a military ruler who would defeat Rome and deliver them from this oppressive nation. Can you feel like what it probably was like that day on Palm Sunday? It was not as carefree as what I think I once imagined it. I think there was a lot of expectations as Jesus rode in. But Jesus didn't come to accomplish anyone else's agenda except his father's. I've often wondered how the crowds went from worshiping and praising him one day and a few days later shouting, crucify him, kill him. Now, some of this we do see in Scripture that a lot of the people laying down the branches and the the, the jackets are actually his followers and kind of his crowd. The city at this time is getting ready for Passover. There would be probably an extra quarter of a million people there, potentially. Like, it's crazy the city would swell because everyone would come back. And everyone's like, who is this? What happened in these few short days to change things? Well, in these few short days, Jesus became very public with his ministry. Normally, Jesus was secretive. He would heal someone and say, don't tell anybody. Now he goes straight into the temple, and he flips the tables, and he stands in the center of the temple courtyard shouting, you're doing it all wrong. You are so far from God. Like, this this is a major display that he does. All right? He has some very public conversations with religious leaders that he normally wouldn't have had in the earlier days of his ministry. He basically takes everyone's expectations and agendas and absolutely blasts them and says, not only am I not here to do what you're wanting me to do, but what you want is so far from God's heart. And no one wants to hear that. It hurts. And I think it it causes some to, to question and even turn against him. There's some thought that Judas, when he betrays Jesus, uh, I've read this, there's not like a ton of weight behind this, but that he actually wasn't wanting to betray Jesus, that he wasn't wanting him to die. What he was thinking was that he he was forcing Jesus' hand. He's like, come on, Jesus, we want you to take over. We want you to get rid of the Romans. Tell you what, if I betray him, he's going to have to stand up for himself. He's going to have to go to war. Here's the hard part of this for us today. You would think that we would have seen this and gotten it right by now, but so often we don't. How often do we go to God with our own agenda and expectations? Like, just stop and think about the moments where you approach God. How often do we have our own agenda that we're wanting to be accomplished? How often do we sing his praises when he has done what we want? But why is it that when life isn't working out the way we want, we have a hard time praising, worshiping, and thanking God? We want Jesus to ride in and do what we want. Give us peace now. Pay my bills and hurry. Save the life of my sick child and do it right away. Give me the job that I want by tomorrow. When we give our life to Jesus, when we declare with our mouth that he is Lord, as scripture says, when we get baptized and we say, it's you I want, I want your way, I want to follow your plan, we give up our agendas and expectations. Or at least that's what we're supposed to do. That's what it means to say that Jesus is Lord. But too often we don't actually give up those expectations, we carry them silently Until we get mad when they aren't met. Alright, so we understand this. The only agenda that matters in the kingdom of God is his agenda. Now here's the thing. Jesus actually intends to meet the needs that we cry out with. But we are often concerned with the symptoms and not the actual problem. He is concerned with the actual root problem. Alright, it's like going to the doctor or dentist because you have some pain and you say, hey, can you fix this? And they come back and they're like, all right, yep, I can fix it. But it's gonna, i got to do this and i got to do this and i got to do this. And it's going to cost this much money. And you're like, I, I don't want all that done. I just want you to take the pain away. I don't want to spend $3,000 on a root canal and a, and a crown and this and a fake tooth. Like, can't you just, can't you just fix the little problem that's bothering me? And your doctor or dentist are going to say, uh, no, it's going to keep coming back. We need to deal with the actual problem. Jesus did come to accomplish what the Israelites wanted, but they were so focused on the shallow portion of the promise. And Jesus didn't come for a shallow work. He came to fight and address the deep issues in our world. Jesus deals with the deepest root of evil in our lives and in our world. They thought that that they knew what they wanted. They wanted a ruler and a Messiah enthroned in a palace, but Jesus came to be enthroned on a cross. They wanted to be rescued from evil and oppression of the Roman Empire, but Jesus came to rescue them from evil and oppression in its fullest depths. Not just the surface level Roman occupation, but from the evil and oppression of sin. And that's what happens in prayer. When you invite Jesus into a situation, he often is going to do way more than what you ask. And sometimes way more than what you want. He will go to the deep heart of the problem. But that doesn't always give us the results that we were hoping for. Even if it's the results that we need. So how often do we get this wrong? Like, How often do we bring expectations and agendas to God and then get upset when we don't feel like he does it the way we want? How often do we walk away from God, maybe for a season when this happens? That's the definition of conditional love. Like, I will love you and I will follow you if you do this for me. And we have to realize that when we give our lives to Jesus, when we get baptized, we are saying, not my way, but yours. Not my agenda, but yours. Not my kingdom come, but your kingdom come. Otherwise, we're just a few days away from instead of singing his praises, cursing his name. I think this is such a timely thing for us to look at Palm Sunday. I want to do this. We need just stand across this room as we come to a close. I think often when I read through this part of, of Matthew 21, or it's it's in Mark, it's in Luke. And when I read through these, it's kind of this like you get this feeling of this joyful celebration. And I think what happens is, is when we when we celebrate Palm Sunday in that way, that's the week before Easter, and then maybe we're like, ah, I'm not gonna go to a good Friday service. Then we show up at Easter. And Easter is this big celebration. And the whole season has turned into this exciting, joyful time. And that's just not what this time was. And I think we are actually majorly missing out on some important things. I want us to look at this and to be able to see ourselves in this story and see a little bit of the ugliness of what was attached to what was happening here. I I think that's important for us to lean into that at this time. And actually, Pastor Aaron and I have been talking, like, Good Friday, one of my biggest struggles with Good Friday, uh, you want to do music on Good Friday. Well, try finding a song where at the end of the song, Jesus is still on the cross. (laughs) Right? Like, it's always, you always end up coming to the resurrection, which is great. Like, we love that. But that's not what Good Friday was. And I want us this season to to be able to press into some of the difficulty of this season. And we've been trying to plan like on Good Friday, like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make this kind of rest in this uneasiness? Because understand that on Good Friday, there was not a single Christian. There were no followers of Jesus on Good Friday. As far as they were concerned, everything had just been ruined. Because they had these expectations. They thought the Messiah would live forever, that he was going to defeat the Romans. And now he's hanging on a cross and he's dead. And we gloss over that so quickly to get to Easter and to celebrate. And I want us to slow down. I want us to feel like they had a ton of expectations. And that's what set up Good Friday to be as... Awful for them as it was. Jesus was trying to tell them the whole time. He kept talking about it. But they were so blinded by what they wanted. So I want us to take a moment and reflect on this. In what ways, right now in your life, in your walk with God, are you bringing expectations? In what ways are you saying, God, I love you. I want to follow you. As long as you accomplish this in my life for me. In what ways do you only embrace him when things are good? And I want to just I want to just kind of pray. I want us to take a moment. I want you to, uh, to open up and say, God, what, what areas in my life am I falling short? What areas am I doing this? And give him an opportunity this morning and maybe this is new for you but to actually speak to you. That doesn't necessarily mean a, a big booming voice is going to come into your head but maybe as you reflect on this there's going to be certain things in your life that just kind of pop into your mind. And God's saying, hey, these are areas that you need to deal with. Or these are areas that you need to give to me and allow me to deal with it. Let's do this together. God, I pray as we come into this Easter season. Lord, that we would not sugarcoat this time. God that we wouldn't be so eager for the Sunday celebration that we would just completely miss what you're wanting to do in our lives before that. God, we just we pray and we ask that you would speak to us right now in this moment, that you would speak to us this week that you would challenge us in ways that we have our own agenda. God, if we start to sit here and think that this is how God is moving and this is what is going to happen and here's what the future looks like and if God's will really began to play out in front of me, it would look this way. It would look this way in my life. It would look this way in our country. It would look this way in our world. God, we just don't know those things. Forgive us for ever trying to assume those. Lord, I pray that you would just Highlight these areas right now for us. God, we want to change these. We want to be drawing closer to you. God, we want to be worshiping you and not just what we think you can do for us. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.